Welcome to the Cherry Becker Tax Beat, a conversation about tax that matters. Welcome to this edition of the Cherry Becker Tax Beat Podcast. Today we're talking about a recent U.S. tax court case, Farhi versus Commissioner. The ruling in this case addresses penalties assessed against taxpayers who must report international tax activities. Joining in today's conversation is Brian Dill, the national leader of our firm's international tax practice. How are you doing, Brian? Great. Pleasure to be here. And as always, joining me is Sarah McGregor from Greenville, South Carolina. How's yes. it going today? Today is, is great, and it's sunny Greenville, South Carolina today. Uh, we're actually, after multiple days of rain, it's kind of nice to have, have a bit of sunshine for a change. And, okay, and I'm Brooks Nelson. I've been in Washington, D.C. the last couple of days, and it has been um, surprisingly a little cool and chill up here, uh, much cooler than chill than many of us visiting were expecting. But anyway. But at least it wasn't 100 degrees yet. Yet. All right, so let's move on to today's topic. Um, just a little bit of background. Taxpayers who own or control certain for, foreign corporations, partnerships, um, um, disregarded entities, trusts, et cetera, et cetera, are subject to penalties from the Internal Revenue Code. Um, if you don't meet required reporting each year, typically this reporting is done with a tax return. Sometimes it's done separately. Sometimes it's both. Um, commonly, this reporting includes forms 5471, 5472, 8858, 3520. There are others, but those are kind of the, the big ones that most people run into. Uh, the penalties can start at $10,000 or $25,000 or increase from there. Um, the central question in this Fari case was whether or not the IRS has the authority to as assess and collect these penalties. So, Brian, give us your expert breakdown of the Fari case and the taxpayer's challenge. I would be delighted to, Brooks. I think first, before we jump off into the facts, kind of let's talk about the two major type of penalty procedures that the Internal Revenue Code has, because that's really what's going to be at issue. Um, you know, some penalties provided by the Internal Revenue Code are what I call subject to deficiency procedures, which broadly means that taxpayers have the ability to access administrative and judicial review before assessment. What this really means is that taxpayers can access the tax court where one does not have to pay the penalty before judicial review occurs. The other side of the coin is where the Internal Revenue Code gives the IRS the right to assess penalties without deficiency procedures, which really means that if you are assessed a penalty under one of those as a taxpayer, you first need to pay the penalty and then go to district court or the court of claims, and you don't go through the tax court, which here's um, here's claims without paying the tax. And that's, I think that's a good background to what this centers on. And let's turn now to kind of the, the specifics of the case. So Elon Farhi um, 
involved the failure to timely file Form 5471 um, for his Belize foreign corporations. Um, he was assessed $60,000 per year from 2003 through 2010. So about a half a million dollars of penalties were at issue. The IRS have always held that 5471 penalties under code section 6038 for those that are interested are what we call assessable penalties, meaning you cannot access the tax court. It's not, you don't go through deficiencies. So the taxpayer must first pay the penalties and then get judicial review. Or he managed to raise this issue of assessable about 5471 penalties before the tax court. So this did go to the tax court solely on this issue about the type of penalty procedure. Amazingly, though, Farhi did not argue that 5471 penalties were subject to deficiency procedures. Instead, Farhi argued that 5471 penalties are subject neither to deficiency procedures nor assessable penalties, which is kind of strange. So what Farhi was saying is that the IRS couldn't assess it and it wasn't a deficiency. And what you, the IRS must instead do was go to the Justice Department and get the penalties to be a judgment for collection. So the IRS couldn't do it on their own. They would have to go through the Justice Department the Department of Justice in this particular case. Um, and we'll see. Um, the, so Brian, the, the, the IRS could impose the penalty, but the, the taxpayer was arguing, you, you can impose the penalty, but there is no way for you to assess it. From right. Me. Yeah, and, there's no, they to, to go get it, they would have to then get the Justice Department. It's a very similar case with FBARs. Um, it, it follows the same procedures. It, those are very unusual, though. Yeah. And so what did the court tax court rule in this case? How did they decide? Well, the, just to let you know, the government, just to put the government's um, reply on here is they argued that they were assessable penalties. And the funny thing is, when you look at it, we all knew that they've been in the business a long time. We've all known that 6038 really wasn't specifically an assessable penalty. And we always thought this is a broken section. They need to fix it. It's one of those legislative fixes that never occurred. So what they said was that, you know, they could not be subject to deficiency provisions and nothing in this code section 6201 related to the assessment authority and limited its ability to do chapter 68 penalties. So what did the tax court hold? Lo and behold, the tax court full stop rejected the government's view. Um, Judge Marvel noted that Congress had been specific about assessments in other contexts. And, you know, it's kind of interesting what he said here. Marvel said, said the court is loath to disturb this well-established statutory framework by inferring the power to administratively assess and collect the section 6038B penalties, i.e. 5471 penalties, 
when Congress did not see fit to grant that power to the Secretary of Treasury, as it did for other penalties of the code. So a full stop loss for the government in this case. So that's really going to put a, a damper. Um, is, is there a thought this has just been like a technical glitch in the in in there, or is this something that um, you know has been around but just people have just sort of nodded and let the IRS pretend like they had this authority until this case came up? Um, I'd say it's the latter. We pretended a little bit, you know. Um, it's one of those things that just did not uh, get taken up and argued. It was uh, always discussed, um, but it's there now, and now we are in this this ether of unknowing. So I guess that's the follow-up question. So uh, procedurally, you know, there, well, there's this argument about, you know, the ordering, so to speak, but does this mean the penalties are actually null for Fari? I think that's an interesting question, Brooks. I think there's a couple of things to think about that. The The answer is... Um, no, from a technical perspective. And so let, let's look at, you know, we've, we've gone through the tax court. So we, we've talked to the IRS and the IRS has not issued any formal guidance here. Um, we have heard that for cases pending review by IRS appeals, you know, they haven't said this formally, but the people I've talked to have said that far he will not be viewed as controlling law. So if you're at IRS appeals, you know, it's business as usual. And essentially what's happening is the IRS has not acquiesced and everyone fully expect the IRS to appeal this case. So I would expect 5471 penalties to still be assessed. I think there's going to be a ton of litigation on this because there are thousands of taxpayers affected. And the penalties, as you noted, Brooks, I mean, some of these penalties start at $25,000 per pop. So we're not talking about immaterial dollars here. Right. And so the government is going to continue their current efforts to collect on these penalties uh, and maybe start some using DOJ to 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 start some collection procedures as well or just hold off on that until after appeals you think yeah i think after appeals i think they are going to try to use their normal collection procedures um to to collect these things right i don't they're not going to go through department of justice they have not acquiesced um and we don't have a fix i think they are still going to treat it with a blind eye to the tax court at this point and treat them as assessable penalties. Right. Well, the, the taxpayer advocate has blogged about this and, and has included this as a, as a red flag issue that needs asking Congress to fix this particular code section. Uh, but the advocate has also talked about a separate kind of related issue about the need for a clear statute of limitations on these penalties. Can you help oh. explain a little bit about that? I will try, Sarah. Statute of limitations here is a little messy because there's several at issue. Um, you know, if you've been affected by these penalties, right? I think the first thing is, you know, to take advantage of this decision. I, I would think and talk to your attorneys about protective claim for refund because there's a two-year statute of limitations out there. So, you know, you would think about 
if you think you're entitled to this, you know, you might file a protective claim for refund under the two years. Regarding penalty monies, there's a second category, you know, you've been assessed, but what about penalty monies already paid, you know, and you think it should run through the different because the IRS didn't go through the Department of Justice and this was an illegally collected penalty um, because it's an invalid assessment. Um, the IRS might argue that the claim itself is not invalid, right, that the underlying penalty actually applies. And some believe the government may take no action on refund claims now. So what is that? If the taxpayer files suit, the government may counterclaim for penalty, right? So how will they collect? So if you look in the statute of limitations, not in the Internal Revenue Code, but if you look at U.S. Code Title 28, Section 2462, um, there is a general statute of limitations provision that applies in most contexts, unless there's a specific. And I think this applies here. It states that a suit to enforce penalties must be commenced within five years from the date a claim accrued. So to me, that could be a big issue regarding the government's ability to bring suits to collect illegally assessed penalties, if it is illegally assessed. Because the problem is here, as we all know, with the IRS right now, many of these penalties have been at IRS appeals for way longer than five years. So there is the case that many of these appeals might, you know, these assessed penalties, if they are ruled illegally assessed, may have run the five-year statute. Mm -hmm. And so that needs some clarification also, and that certainly wasn't part of this case. Yeah. So I, I see more litigation coming in some of these other areas now. I think this is an expensive area because when you mention litigation, you know, it's expensive. So, yes, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of litigation around this forthcoming. Do you pay the $25,000 penalty or do you try to uh, uh, file some some suit to get out of that penalty? And it might cost you double, triple that to do so. Yeah. Who knows? And I think it's a it's a big area because Brooks mentioned it briefly, but I'll kind of, you know, mention here it's not just the 5471 which is for investments in foreign corporations that you know you've got the 5472s where you have 25 percent foreign owned u.s corporations or foreign corporations that are doing business in the u.s you got that and that's a twenty-five thousand dollar penalty that's under this probably you've got investments in certain foreign partnerships 8865s you have, which apply to a lot of people, is the 8938, specified foreign assets. I mean, there are a lot of people with just regular 1040s that have those specified foreign assets and that $10,000 penalty exposure. So even if you're not in the commercial sphere and you're just a 1040 taxpayer, you know, the 8938 can reach out and grab you in this particular area. And then you have Form 926s, which can be up to $100,000 penalties when you transfer property to a foreign corp. You got 8858s, which are divisions or branches, essentially, of a U.S. business. And then you have, or where we do help some clients that expatriate, the 8854, that's there. And then some are arguing, and I have not looked at this personally and won't comment today, 
um, that this decision also applies to 3520s. Um, that could be the case. I have not researched that personally. Well, I think that really puts taxpayers in a tough situation, though, right now. Are you, are you, you know, the ultimate end game, of course, they're going to figure out some way for the IRS to collect penalties on this. And that seems to me there's a question of, are you a fortunate soul who falls into a technical glitch loophole and you get out, uh, you know, get out of jail free car during this little interim step? I mean, because, you know, again, there's no question in my mind somebody's going to fix this. It's just a matter of, you know, going forward. It's like what happens in this little uh, in this little interim space? I think you summed it up really nicely, Brooks. I think the way the headlines in the news are reading is, though, this is just relief for the taxpayer and they're selling it as such. You know, perhaps, perhaps you get that you win the lottery and you get right. the jail out of jail card. And yeah. that's great. But I think for a lot of other taxpayers, uh, we already know the government is facing a lot of administrative, yeah. but I think for other taxpayers, if they have to go through Department of Justice and have yeah. to access that system without a legislative fix, this is not, in the long run, a good thing for taxpayers either. I think it's a lose-lose yeah. situation, yeah, sure. and I think that's my big message here is that this is not what I would consider a win for taxpayers in the long run. No. You know, being on the both the advice and the compliance and reporting side, I, I see this as um, very burdensome on taxpayers. Right. All right. So let's don't let this go by. We got far here, but let's just uh, I think uh, flash back to the Bittner case that came out not that long ago too, and and maybe. Briefly compare and contrast these two cases. Well, I think the, the interesting thing is, um, you know, and I'll mention Bittner here, but I think both Farhi and Bittner is a lose-lose for the government on both situations. I think in Farhi, and, and let me be frank here, the people I spoke to at Treasury and the IRS, they knew about the assessable penalty issue I mean, we've talked about that in circles for over a decade, and they right. knew they needed to get it fixed, and they did not get it fixed. And I think they could have got it fixed. And now I think Treasury and the IRS have a little egg on their face because they failed to get that fixed. And that right. was a big loss for them. And now they're having to stretch, and they're on the losing side. Uh, Bittner is one of those cases where I think they had some hopeful reading. And so this in the FBAR context was – um, you know, when you report on your foreign bank account reports, you report all your accounts. So the IRS or Treasury essentially argued that the penalties imposed, which can be very high for FBARs, were imposed on a per account basis. And the Supreme Court said no. This is clear, you know, because of the way the language we won't get into that case today, but it was on a per report basis, which is a big that is a big win for that, that the is a huge win for the for yeah. taxpayers. Yeah, that yeah. is a clear win for the taxpayer. Right. And you know, and but the IRS had some circuits uh agreeing with them until the Supreme Court had to decide the issue. We had split circuit decisions there 
which was interesting. Uh, so in light of all this, what are you recommending to clients um, and about international assets and operations and, and reporting in light of the, the Fari case? I think Farhi and Bittner both should drive home to those taxpayers that are going to operate in the international sphere is that international reporting and compliance are complex that you need to get your ducks in a row and that you with this mess out there currently in far heat do you really want to access you know this litigation nightmare or do you want to take care of it up front i i would say the, the message is very clear get ahead of the game get your ducks in a row get your reporting done correctly make sure you have your facts straight so that your advisor and person doing the compliance and reporting can get it accurately completed because i think more than ever it, it's demonstrating how you don't want to go down the penalty and trying to get relief it's going to become more difficult and i think the more global operations are um this is this is a true statement for all countries where where your business may be operating or where you have investments is to be clear and stay on top of the reporting that's necessary in all those locations. And I would say, Sarah, that it is complex because, you know, if you invest through pass-throughs here in the U.S., you still may have a reporting requirement because it is investing in foreign operations, you know, through constructive ownership, through the rules of attribution, you may get pulled into this so it's very important you have a clear indication of your facts and circumstances and what your investments are doing and how they're going offshore so that you get the reporting correct and it is not intuitive right it's not always straightforward what needs to be reported um and as people want to go more global it it is much more complex you're correct okay so i'm going to <clears throat> I actually think both of y'all just did final comments, you know, and I think a very good overall summary in which I will just go ahead and echo. Um, you know, the bottom line is let's do it, make a good faith effort to get it right up front, and then you don't have to be fighting with the courts, DOJ, IRS appeals, IRS agents, none of that's any fun. And the amount of dollars on the table make it such that you have to respond in some way most of the time. Okay. So let's, uh, that's a wrap on today's discussion of international information reporting penalties and the tax court ruling in the Farhi case. Thank you for listening in. A quick disclaimer that we are not providing tax advice on this podcast. Please consult with your tax advisor, hopefully at Cherry Beckert, with your specific tax issues or to discuss information from today's podcast. Check out the firm's website at cbh.com for the latest guidance and materials on this and other tax and business topics. This concludes today's podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you, Brian. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. We truly appreciate it. Let's call it a day and go forth in peace.